Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another fantastic edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger, who looks a little border than usual in Vegas. Aren't, aren't you Aren't you busy? Aren't you got anything Schedule to do? Schedule is wide open. I don't know what to do. I, I honestly <laughs> don't know what to do with myself for May this year. I really don't. <laughs> And Sarah Sivian, who is busy covering a playoff team in Carolina. How are you, Sarah? Yeah, Jesse, you want to take some of this off my hands? It's been kind of a stressful <laughs> week over here. But no, this is why this is why I do this job. It's been so incredible to kind of cover the playoffs in great old Rollywood. Yeah, the first round of the playoffs is l- quite literally the greatest time of the year for me as a hockey fan. Like, I just feel like you just get punched in the face with action and the fact that now we can kind of like watch it in so many different ways. I don't know how you guys watch playoff hockey. I've got a game on my TV. I got a game on my tablet. I got, I'm bouncing around nonstop. Um, and I love every minute of it. it's the first, not that, not that the other rounds, the subsequent rounds aren't exciting, but I just love the sheer quantity. of Right. It. The amazing. fact that we have four games every day for like the next yeah. like week and a half, two weeks, every single day. I love that there are no two days in between with travel. They literally have it like, the they they had they timed it to we're getting four games every day. I'll say, like this is my first time watching the first round of the playoffs, like since I've covered hockey professionally, and like I, where the moment it hit me where I like thought like I miss this, like I like I wish I was covering the playoffs right now was I was watching the Carolina game the other night, and it's not so much the action on the ice as Carolina scored two goals in succession, and they sh- just panned to the arena, and they are going insane with the towel and like that building is nuts and it just reminded me of t-mobile arena for the last four years and it was like man that like it doesn't get any better than that it's the most fun that sports can possibly be and and i am very jealous right now 
T-Mobile definitely rivals the atmosphere of the Hurricanes. But when I took this job, I don't know what I was expecting, right? I'm from Boston. I covered the Bruins and the Penguins. And then I get a text from a GM of a former team that I, we're family friends. And he said, this is going to be the best building of your life when it comes to the playoffs. And I didn't believe him, but I was there for um, Bruins Leafs game seven. And I have to say it's louder in Carolina game one. So. <laughs> wow. Well, it's like the, right the building moves and everybody yeah. says it and it's cliche, but it's true. Like these people come out for their sports when they're doing well. <laughs> I felt that the first time I even saw a game in Montreal and I, and I saw the a home opener in Montreal and that was, I felt like exactly that the, the room was vibrating. It was just, mm-hmm. it was awesome. And that, that, you know, coming off the pandemic year when, you know, we, we had to, you know, watch playoffs without fans and everything. This is, this is so much, so much better. Uh, we're going to get into it. We want, we want to hit every series. I want your opinions on every single one. And we're going to start with last night, uh, four games last night, as Jesse mentioned. And of course, we're going to start with Pittsburgh and the New York Rangers because this game had high scoring, high shooting, high drama, high amount of minutes played in an entire game. A Pittsburgh game one win, 4-3 in triple overtime. Uh and I mentioned the high drama because, you know, we've been talking a lot about goaltenders. Um, no Tristan Jari for the Penguins. So Casey DeSmith played most of the game. Then midway through the second overtime has to leave with a lower body injury. Louis Domingue comes in. <laughs> Poor guy <laughs> is just like enjoying the hockey game with the best seat in the house. Suddenly, hey, go in there, make 17 saves before Evgeny Malkin ends it. Um, what, what a, that was just, that was just pure entertainment. I loved every second of it. Sarah, you're smiling. What'd you think? Well, I was just laughing, thinking of Pete Blackburn's tweet when he said, actually, Billy Joel is the e-bug in this game. Just <laughs> but um, God, it was electric. That's literally why we wait all season for the playoffs. Um, yeah. It. I loved Josh Yowie's story on The Athletic about it. I think it's a cool moment because everyone's thinking about this core group, right? And they have like another moment to their name, right? So you got to enjoy the ride there. I will say... This morning, I walked into Hurricanes morning skate and Emily Kaplan was there after the triple overtime in New York that she covered. And I was like, girl, how are you doing this? I, I got to give props to her. She's on the grind. That game was so much fun. And and like the Deming storyline is great. Um, I'm I'm curious to watch tomorrow. Like I, the thing I always think of when a game goes to like double, triple, quadruple overtime is the like i feel like that game has more of an impact on the rest of the series than just a regular win um because oh, yeah. because you put so much into it if you win that game you feel great if you lose that game you feel like yeah. what a waste like i don't like I, what a gut yeah. punch so, i hate yeah. to say it but i said literally when the game ends all right that's it for new it's, york it, it's going to be so much harder for the rain to in my opinion for the rangers to bounce back from that um it's going to like like i said i i'm fascinated to see how each team reacts to that um, because, like, I mean, it's you, they played two games last night. Igor Shosturkin, who's probably going to win the Vesna, in line for the heart, a 79-save loss. Imagine I told you before that game he'd make 79 friggin' saves and lose the hockey game. Uh, he was incredible. It was, it was, it, it really was a goaltending duel. I mean, even before he got hurt, DeSmith looked really good in this one for a four, three win. Um, but 151 total shots tied for the most ever in a playoff game with that Columbus Tampa game that Corpusalo had the 88, uh, saves 
And that was a five overtime game. So think about the action packed into this. And that's what I loved about it, guys. Like how many times, and let's be honest, as much as we love hockey, we've all watched those playoff games that are going into second, third overtime. And it, the hockey's deteriorating by the second. And all you're thinking is, <laughs> so oh, somebody, somebody score. I'm exhausted. <laughs> like somebody score. This is not fun. Last night was not one of those games. It started to get there at, at the end of the second OT. And it was like the icing after icing. But they got it together for the beginning of the third. I, I saw Elliot Friedman tweet that they it was it was cramps for DeSmith. Like the guy, like it wasn't even an injury. Yeah. Like the yeah. guy had faced so many shots. His legs are just giving out. To me, that mm-hmm. makes Shesterkin even more impressive. Like what he did the amount of shots he saved like in that second period it was a shooting gallery like he was unreal in that second period and then to play three more periods after that and be as excellent as he was I mean he's he's a superstar um I know goalies can can have that like Mount Everest mountaintop and then just fall off it like it happens all the time but like it really does look like like he and Vasilevsky are going to run this league for a while Right. It's a perfect encapsulation of why I voted for him for the heart. Like that game right there. One thing I want to say before we move on to our next series, four hours and 18 minutes between the last warm up shot that Louis Domingue took and when he came into the game. Four hours and 18 minutes to stay focused like that is incredible, especially when he admitted after the game that he had spiced pork and broccoli in between the first and second overtime because he said he had to get something into his belly and probably just didn't think he was playing. And he goes out and does that uh, as well. So yeah, game two is going to be interesting. Uh, Moving on. President's Trophy winners didn't get off to a good start to the uh, playoffs as the Washington Capitals uh, win four to two. And they did so with a rally. Florida had a 2-1 lead going into the third. And guys, this season... Teams have been 0-39-1 against Florida when they're trailing after 40 minutes. 0-39-1, and Florida chooses game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs to, to buck that trend. Do uh, you think Florida fans have any reason to be concerned, though, Jesse? For sure. Um, I mean, I like. I, I thought this was a, a – I thought this was going to be a competitive series. I think the Capitals, we, we, have, we always talk about – the, the playoff experience, this Capitals team has so many core players that have been there and done it a million times. I, I think even before this game, there was reason not to be concerned, but there was reason to believe that this is going to be a long series. And I think um, the Capitals look like they're playing well if they can get the goaltending. I mean, Ovi was awesome. He had that huge steal on the Kuznetsov uh, game tying goal. Um, this the, the Capitals are legit. Like, I, I, I think this team can absolutely push Florida. I agree. And I think... It's always a, I was concerned about the Panthers starting the playoffs. I think they're going to win the series still, but I like when you're talking about winning the cup, I do think it's dangerous how they've used offense as kind of a crutch. You know what I mean? It's been awesome to watch and fun to see them score all these goals, but I do think in the playoff defense wins championships, you know? <laughs> who who are you imitating when you do that voice? Sean Shapiro doing his transatlantic accent. <laughs> Real fans uh, of the pod know what we're talking about. TJ TJ Oshie uh, with the game winning goal in that one as well. And just quickly to expand on that stat I gave you earlier, there were also teams were zero and twenty two in Florida when they were leading after forty minutes. So we've talked so much about that team being able to rally themselves, all those four goal comebacks. Uh, not able to do it here as they blow the lead going into the third period. Uh, next series was pretty much a massacre in game number one, Colorado with a 7-2 win. You mentioned this, I think it was last week or the week before, Jesse, about David Riddick. 
five goals on 13 shots, gets yanked in the first period. I mean, I almost felt bad for him because you've got one of the best offensive teams in hockey, and it was a shooting gallery. I mean, Nathan McKinnon just takes it to an absolute new level every playoffs. Three points last night. He's now third all-time in points per game in the playoffs, which is bananas. Um, Without UC Soros, are we looking at three more one-sided games, Sarah? Um, Avalanche in two. Like, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, even with Soros, it would have been. Is there an uncle? Is there like a give up? Give up time? Yeah. It would have been a struggle, but it was just. It's brutal without Soros because he's basically that team's MVP, other than Roman Yossi. So it's been tough to watch already. (laughs) Sounds like a waste of eight days to me. Um, <laughs> I, oh yeah, Daryl Sutter. Well, yeah. How long ago was that? Well. A couple months ago. He's like, whoever wins that wild card, you're going to waste eight days getting swept by the Avalanche. Um, I totally exactly. agree with Sarah. If Saros was in this series, I, I never thought the Predators were going to beat the Avs, but I thought he's the type of goalie, not just the 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 quality of of goalie, because obviously he's. I think he's one of the best three to five goalies in the NHL. But I think his specific style could have stolen a game or two like or at least or at least yeah. or at least hold the predators in it to like give the avs something to worry about when you're a prohibitive favorite like the avs and you're out shooting a team 20 to 8 and it's still tied the, the pressure builds right you start thinking like oh my god we yeah. can't beat this guy like what and, and then the predators get a lucky one and you're like here we go the, the predators don't have a chance to even put that doubt in the avs mind because they just don't have the goal and, and like david riddich he's not great but no goalie was gonna was gonna be able to do that, except for maybe the elite of the elite, UC Soros type, and and an athletic guy like that. So I think, man, this I mean, unless he can make a miraculous come, I mean, they, they've only ruled him out for the first two games. So if you think about it, like from an optimistic perspective, you're not supposed to win either of the two in Colorado, anyways. So maybe if you can get him back, coming back to Nashville, you they, that team feels a little bit better about itself. But right now, with no UC Soros in sight, this looks. Uh, like I said, a waste of eight days. <laughs> Love how you're yeah. quoting Gerald Sutter. I, I wish there was a stat that could that could tell us um, exactly what you just talked about. Get um, on it, Dom. Yeah, get on. Yeah, Dom, lazy ass, get on it. <laughs> Something that just makes you. It's not a matter of stealing the game. It's a matter of making the other team alter their game because they're frustrated. You know what I mean? Maybe making that extra pass. Maybe squeezing the stick a little harder for one of the oldest cliches in hockey. And I think a UC Soros would be able to do that. But you're right. Last night was just a shooting gallery. So you heard it right here. Sarah predicted it. Avalanche in two. Uh, and speaking of Daryl Sutter, um, Calgary with a one nothing win and now a one nothing series lead over the Dallas Stars. Jacob Markstrom with the busiest shutout he'll ever have. 16 saves uh, in that one. It, it's interesting because it was low scoring. It was quite a defensive game. But there was some bad blood in this one. It got chippy. 16 penalties, 10 power plays, just 42 minutes of five-on-five hockey in this game. And we saw two fights and two key defensemen kicked out before the first intermission. Rasmus Anderson and John Klinberg um, got in that second fight in the same, you know, the rule. Two fights in the same stoppage, and it's an automatic game misconduct. But I'm kind of curious. We we were talking about the possibility of, of Calgary-Nashville being chippy. This one might be the chippiest of the bunch. Yeah, it sounds like Calgary just wants to fight everyone. Um, I mean, it's it, it's partially their style. I think their coach has a big part of it, like just the mental the mentality that he sets, and and I think 
to be honest, I think the stars have to do that. Um, I watched a lot of stars hockey down the stretch just because they were like the ones the Golden Knights were trying to chase. And to be honest, they didn't look like a playoff team. I think the stars limped into these playoffs because teams like the Golden Knights couldn't win a game. And they just the stars do not look like they're in good form. I think they have one line really that can that can compete with a team like Calgary and they're going to have to do that type of stuff to in order to hang with this team. I don't think they're going to end up doing it, but um, to me, it's like if you're the stars, like we've got one shot at this, and it's getting the Calgary off their game, getting them to play poorly. So I understand why the stars are doing it. Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, the Flames are my, I guess, dark horse to win the cup. Honestly, if they can get past the Abs, which I don't think that's possible, but I, I don't see it happening. It's just kind of a weak, a weak team <laughs> against a team like the Flames. Interesting to see, though, could be the Flames have been known, especially that top line. We've talked about having three forty goal scorers on this team, and and, and Goudreau and Kachuk and everything they've done. Kind of interesting to see a one nothing. I, w- I certainly wasn't betting the over, but I certainly didn't expect a one nothing win in game one. So that brings us to tonight, a foursome of game number twos. And Sarah, you know, I want to start with you here, Carolina, with that five one win over the Bruins, and you're going to be able to go to your brother's wedding uh, because yes, of that matchup you wanted. No Freddie Anderson, but. Antti Ranta, 35 saves, your expectations or your thoughts on game one and then your expectations for game two. Yeah, I will say, and Rod Brindamore is in, agree with, in agreement with me here on this one, that the scoreboard doesn't really tell the story of game one. Um, the Bruins had possession for a lot of the game when it mattered, but Ranta being able to keep up with that is like even better than if the Canes played a really high possession game. You know what I mean? Because it showed confidence that he can be the guy if he needs to be, and it showed his teammates that he's got them while they figure it out. Like it was a very, the Canes were playing like they had anxiety for the first half of the first period and they had to settle in, but then they did. And they had a really good PK. The PK was just incredible as always. And then that was encouraging to see. And then the kid Seth Jarvis scores. And then they kind of ran away with the game after that because they knew that they could do it. You know what I mean? And I, I just think the Canes, it's a really good matchup for them, the Bruins with Allmark right now, because it's like they've it's like they played the Bruins before with Tuka Rask and with like kind of their more veteran core, and now it's a little bit easier. I, I don't want to say that it's going to be easy for the Canes the rest of the way. I don't think they're going to sweep the Bruins, but I do think they're going to win the series. Yeah, for me, it's just a continuation of like I have this theory that literally any human being in the world can play goalie for the Canes and be awesome because this team <laughs> right? is so good. And like, and I, I actually, I, I do, I, the, the hurricane fans, they're sick of me on Twitter. Like they, they, I, they, they are not a big fan of me because I'm constantly downplaying the, like last year with Nadelkovic, I was a big, I don't think this guy's really that good. I think literally anyone that can play in the NHL is going to look great behind this team. And mm. Then he went to Detroit and I, and like I was in favor of Carolina kind of just like not paying him that big contract. And he went to Detroit and hasn't looked as good. And then Freddie Anderson, who is to me, the best goalie that they've had behind this core comes in and he's like a Vezina candidate. And I, and I've kind of been saying all year that I've been saying all year that like, I not, not that I don't think Freddie Anderson's a good goalie, but I don't think he belongs in that top like five tier. I think his performance this year was worthy of being in the top five. And it's because 
the mm-hmm. Carolina Hurricanes just play so good in front of their goalie. It's not so much to yeah. me the suppression of chances. Like they're, they give up chances. It's the predictability of them. I don't know. There's something about when I watch the Hurricanes play, the chances against just seem so much more predictable than for other teams. Yeah. And um, it's, you, I mean, Antti Ranta, he made some big saves, especially early in that game. Boston was all over Carolina. But I think, man, what a great thing to have where the team just plays so well that a guy in Freddie Anderson played so well all year. You don't have him. And and a guy like Antti Ranta comes in and plays spectacularly for you. If they can get Anderson back in the net, that team is is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, real quick, you mentioned Seth Jarvis there, Sarah. I read your piece and, and Rod Brindamore's quote saying sometimes uh, experience or playoff experience can be a bit overrated. And, you know, it's it's one game. I'm not going to suddenly say this. And and maybe we'll talk to Andrew Lott about this, who's coming up, uh, I should mention, the second half of the show because he won the Stanley Cup as a rookie. Um, do you guys think playoff experience is, is overrated? Uh, is there an ignorance is bliss type thing when it comes to sometimes some of these young players? I think it's necessary to have a level of experience, but I think Rod was kind of saying it's overrated in the way we constantly talk about it as the end all be all. And as the narrative that we push so much, like we talk about it so much that it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, guys, it's important, but not that important. And then you see Seth Jarvis score, obviously it's just, you don't know what you don't know. So you're not overthinking, especially, I don't know if you've, been in the league for a decade and you haven't won a cup, you're thinking, I got to win the cup. I got to win the cup. You're gripping the stick pretty tight, but maybe the rookies next to you are like, Oh, let's try to win the cup for him. Like bright eyed and bushy tailed, you know, and they, they don't have as much pressure and that can be a beautiful thing. I think you need a blend, the correct blend. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a great point that the longer you go without a cup, the more like precious the chances are to get the cup and therefore you like when when the chance feels like it's slipping away you think like man is this my last chance like i really have to mm-hmm. to perform here whereas the rookie like the, the kids in their first three years like in their mind it's like i'm gonna be doing this every year for the next 15 years like i'm gonna have mm-hmm. so many chances <laughs> right like that's that that's was how easy. everyone thinks so i do think that there's a level of like less pressure because they they just they feel like this is always like there, there's so many more chances for them but i also think it's to me it's like in my mind, it's situational. Like I think when things are going well, you don't really need experience. Like when when things are rolling well and people are scoring and the team's yeah. winning, it's like who cares? I think when you where where experience can be vital is when things go wrong. And I and I think when things go poorly for you to start a playoff series or first couple games of a playoff series, I think for young players and and players without that experience, it's easy to for it to get off the rails a little easier. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a great point by Sarah that it's I feel like the older you get, you feel like the chances are slipping away. Sometimes that pressure can actually it can actually work against you. Pressure is a good way to move on to our next series because the Leafs picked up a five nothing win over the Tampa Bay Lightning ordinarily. You know, if we had the old playoff system and I know we talked about, you know, how we were, we're all a fan of the conference playoff system over the divisional system. You know, you beat a team five to nothing and you're one of the best teams in the league. That's usually what's supposed to happen. But the Leafs beat the two time defending champions. Five to nothing. Austin Matthews, two goals and assist. Mitch Marner, a goal and two assists. Jack Campbell, all the question marks going into the playoffs, picks up a shutout. And all I keep thinking is the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to come out with everything they've got in game number two. We're not going to see that same. In my opinion, Tampa Bay, as well as Toronto play, Tampa Bay looked lethargic. They looked not as into it as they should have been for game one of the playoffs. Um, and I think tonight is going to be very interesting to see Stamkos and Kucherov and, and Hedman and, and Vasilevsky just 
shut the door. I may be wrong. And if I'm a betting man, which I absolutely am, I'm considering placing a dollar or two on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Agree or disagree? Sarah. I agree with tonight they're going to win. I don't think they're going to take the series. I think this was so important for Ta- uh, for Toronto. I keep getting them mixed up for some reason. But <laughs> I predicted somewhere that Austin Matthews is going to lead the playoffs in scoring. And I, I think that first game with the floodgates opening needed to happen for the Leafs. For them to beat the, the Lightning in this series, I don't know what's going to happen next. But I'm getting good vibes from them for the first time maybe ever. <laughs> what about you, Jesse? Yeah, I, I thought Rob's point about Tampa looking lethargic, that was what stood out to me. And and I know sometimes like you can get in your bubble and like just the things you're hearing and the things you're around will influence what you see. And then you you like it's almost like confirmation bias. But for me, I've been I've been covering this Golden Knights team and I've been talking to the players and a lot of them have been mentioning like, look, in the last five years, we've played so much hockey. And then and then the yeah. pandemic condensing things made it even more so. And they just looked wore down. And it's not just the Golden Knights. You look at the Islanders, the other team that's been in the conference finals the last, they looked worn down this year. And I think Tampa Bay has shown something similar. I think they're they're a more talented team, obviously, than Vegas and New York. So I think the talent can carry you to the playoffs, whereas those other teams obviously didn't make it. But um, I mean, the Lightning, that, that was their 70th playoff game in the last five years. Um, like another team, just for example, like the Avalanche, they've been in the playoffs a lot. They've played 43. And, and the Lightning, that was their 70th playoff game in the last five years. I do think that that team is worn down. I think when you win two cups, you get a little fat and happy. It's not quite as the, the I'll tell you this. The Maple Leafs are hungrier for a Stanley Cup than the Tampa Bay Lightning are. I can promise that with 100 percent certainty. And sometimes that matters. And especially with a team as talented as Toronto, like I, I, I to me, it looked like a fresh, excited t- Toronto team ready to like prove the world wrong versus yeah. a Tampa Bay Lightning team that has. It just won two cups and looks a little bit worn down. It's interesting, uh, just you know, being in that area. There's always the ongoing joke if you're not a Leaf fan that Leaf fans are already planning the parade. They're already you know thinking everything's going great. Um, it almost feels different this year. I feel like Leaf fans are afraid to be happy. <laughs> a five nothing win over the two time defending champs. I've talked to all my friends who are Leaf fans and they're like, Ugh, just. Just relax, just relax. If this was like five years ago, then I'm like, yeah, all the way, let's do it. But it's it's Leaf fans are afraid. They're just they've they've been they've seen the end of this movie too many times. Um, <laughs> St. Louis four nothing winners over the Wild to take a one nothing series lead. David Perron with a hat trick. We talked about maybe the series that you're going to watch the least. It ended if I had to pick the first eight games, this is probably the one I watched the least. You know, intently or as. I didn't scrutinize it as much, but the one thing I did want to see was Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, I don't know if shaky's the right word. Not necessarily a, a Marc-Andre Fleury playoff performance, we'll say, maybe. Um, do we see them go right back to Fleury? Yeah, he's starting today. Um, I, I oh, saw, he is? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I didn't think Fleury was spectacular, but I, I mean, if, if you go back and look at the four goals, like I, I have a hard time putting any of the four on him, um, maybe the rebound control on that, but it was a deflection. I mean, it's hard to control the rebounds on those, but this, the Minnesota wild, for whatever reason, have really struggled against St. Louis. I, I don't have the number in front of me. I think they've lost like 10 or 11 games in a row. They haven't beat them in two seasons. Um, it's, it's been for whatever reason, a matchup problem for the Wild, even though I think Minnesota is the superior team. Um, St. Louis is so deep. They have like nine 20-goal scorers, I think it is, which doesn't even seem possible. Like 
every single forward in your top nine scored 20 goals. How do you do that? Um, and, and, and St. Louis is rolling right now. They, they look good and, and they, they have a lot of confidence against a team that they have had so much success against. Yeah. This is one of the most like low key, fascinating series. I think of, especially the West. Um, I love the wild season and I still think they're going to pull it out, but I do think this game is actually going to be a huge indication if they do or not. And I, you know, better than anyone else, Jesse, but I think it was important to give Fleury the start again. So he doesn't get in his head. And then if they lose with him in net again, it feels like they're kind of screwed. Well, they'd probably go back to Talbot, and which isn't a bad option. Yeah. I mean, Talbot's been good this year. Like, I, I yeah. think they're, yeah. I think they're in a pretty good position. Um, it's just going to be, can they score? I mean, if, if Talbot was in net and he played better than Flurry, they would have lost what two nothing, three nothing. Like, yeah, they right. still lose right. It doesn't matter how good the goalie is; they've got to find ways to score. And this Minnesota team has scored right. lots of goals this year, but St. Louis is playing really good hockey right now. It felt like the entire game was played in in Minnesota's end. Yeah. And finally, the Kings with a 4-3 win over the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I don't know about you guys, and Jesse, I want your opinion first on this one being the goaltender. I don't care what team it is, whether I'm cheering for them, not cheering for them, whatever. Whenever a goalie at an important time of a game leaves his damn crease to play the puck and just takes a half a second of like, oh, let me look around, I get nervous. I immediately get nervous. And that's exactly what happened with Mike Smith they didn't score directly on his giveaway, but I think it was like five or six seconds afterwards. We, we've been talking about this Edmonton goaltending all year long, guys, and it just kind of felt like, oh, and he, he took all the credit, or not the credit, excuse me, took all the blame afterwards saying, yep, I just can't do that. I was the reason for the loss. Uh, what are we going to see in game two? Jesse, I want your opinion as a goalie who defends goalies no matter what we say. Yeah. You are the <laughs> goaltender. Tend to the goal. Um, <laughs> there we go. It's Mike Smith is so brilliant playing the puck. Like to me, he plays the puck. It's like I, there's such a massive gap between him and the second best like puck handling goal in the league. But I think it works to his detriment because he's so good yeah. at it. Yeah. That he just he doesn't make the simple play because it's like he's so good. It's like I can make this pass and that will be even an even better breakout. But it's like, Mike, we just need you to not give the puck to the other team. Like it doesn't just rim it around the glass like it doesn't have to be the perfect pass. I do think he plays it a little too much. I think he gets a little too fancy at times. And I think in the playoffs when I think maybe those things work in the regular season when the other when the pressure like we always talk about how playoff hockey is different the pressure the the forecheck is just a little bit more intense the there's just a little bit less time and space for everyone and that includes the goalie and I mean he's right he cost him that game and it wasn't just that I didn't think he played particularly well that first goal he was sitting with his heels on the goal line he drives me crazy with how deep he plays in the net um I think Mike Smith has the capability of playing, like putting together some like steel worthy games, like stealing some games for this team. But he just has too many playoff games that end with him like at fault. It just happens too often for me. I'm sick of this. I had the Kings in seven at the beginning of this. And I feel like the Canadian media has tried to force the Edmonton Oilers onto me. They're, they're doing, why is nobody talking about the Oilers? Because this situation sucks and it's going to continue to suck and they're going to, they need to do something better in net. They need to revamp everything. And I don't, it's not their year. I'm done. I'm done. Should mention McDavid with a, a very McDavid type goal in that game. And matter. I should also mention it didn't yeah, matter. That's exactly. what makes it. But that's what I'm trying. I'm got to your point. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> McDavid does McDavid things. Dry does dry things. And 
What are we talking about? Mike mm-hmm. Smith giving the puck away, and that ends up being the game. One of the game. checks on the checklist of what makes a McDavid-like goal is it was meaningless because the team lost anyway. <laughs> did he dang? Did wow. did he dangle yeah. five defenders? Check. <laughs> did he make the goalie look ridiculous? Check. Did it happen at a hundred miles an hour? Check. Was it meaningless? Check. Maybe he should stop scoring and give the rest of the team some urgency. They should bench him. Should also mention, you were talking about goaltenders who can really play the puck well. Jonathan Quick, 47th career win, ties him with Ron Hextall on the all-time list. So you talk about one of those goaltenders that, you know, just synonymous with playing a lot of playoff hockey. Jonathan Quick is one of them. So those are the four games coming up tonight. Can't wait to watch more hockey. And something else I can't wait for, to talk to Andrew Ladd. The Arizona Coyotes, we'll talk to him about his thousandth game. We'll talk to him about, you know, playoff hockey, get his opinion. I'm sure he's watching it, even though he's not playing in it. And the 1616 Foundation as well. He's coming up right after the break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And we are very pleased to be joined by two-time Stanley Cup champion, now with the Arizona Coyotes, Andrew Ladd, joining us on the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, we got a lot we're going to get through. We're going to get to some of the playoffs. I want to get your opinions on that. We're obviously going to get to the 1616 Foundation uh, and talk a lot about that. But before we get to those topics, I think we should start right off with this interview by saying congratulations on a thousand games in the National Hockey League. Uh, walk us through that day because I'm always curious when when you know a milestone's about to happen, you know there's going to be tributes. I watched the video tribute and if I'm kind of feeling a little dusty and watching that. And I don't even necessarily know you. <laughs> I imagine your family and everyone around you uh, had a good time that day as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I think you, you, going through the process of getting to that point, um, there's a lot of reflection on the people that helped you get to that, that place and get to that many games and the support system, you know, from when I was younger to my parents and my brothers um, to, to now, you know, my wife and my kids and, uh, there's been, we've gone through a lot last, you know, three or four years. 
So to have that moment with them, um, it was, it was pretty cool to have my kids, my kids were pumped to be on the ice and excited knowing that it was a, a big moment for, for me. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, uh, it was awesome just to cross that, that milestone off the list. Had to feel good doing it against Chicago as well. The old teammates. Yeah, the way it worked out, I actually happened to be there for uh, Taves' ceremony in Chicago. Um, so I got to, to see that and be a part of that. And then, um, you know, to be able to play my thousandth against, uh, you know, him and Kaner and, and even, uh, you know, Riley Stillman. It was, it was funny. It came full circle. I played with with his dad um, and, and, you know, had some memories of him rollerblading around as a, a young kid. And then uh, to be able to play my thousandth game against even him was, was pretty cool. We, we debate this all the time about the thousand games and like, what's the most impressive part about it? Is it the, the durability, not getting injured? Is it the, the, the ability to be good enough to, to stay in a lineup that long? When you think back to, to getting a thousand games, I guess, what, what was the hardest part about it? What are you the most proud of? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I don't know if durability was my thing the last, you know, four or five years, but I think just the longevity, I think the ability to, to play as the game evolves, um, you know, it went from post, you know, I guess I say post lockout, there's been a few lockouts, but, uh, originally coming to the league where there, you know, there was a shift in, in, uh, how the game was called. And then as, as the games evolved, you just seen more speed and more speed. And, uh, as you get older, you have to find ways to, to keep evolving your game and, and stay relevant. So I think just being able to play the, the game, uh, as long as I have, um, the way I have, and I've tried to play a pretty physical, intense game throughout my career. So to be able to do that, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. I've been working on a story where I'm talking to Ray Whitney, um, Eric Cole and kind of all those beauties. And they just have so many good stories about that team and about how hard those practices were. Um, can you maybe like give us a little story about that or a Rod Brindamore story? Oh yeah. Um, so like I, I I didn't really I came into that obviously as a rookie um, you know nineteen I turned twenty in December that year so I didn't know any different so I was like okay this is how pra- people practice in the NHL um, and then I remember talking to to Ray Whitney and and him saying like his his dad was a um, kind of a practice boy for the Oilers when they were winning cups and he said my dad says we practice like the Oilers did when they were winning cups. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's, that's, that's uh, an interesting comment to hear coming from a guy that has been around the league for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it, it was the pace of practice. Uh, a lot of them weren't long, you know, but we, we practiced with a certain intensity that translated into those games. And as I, you know, my career has gone along and you kind of, you go through different teams and different coaches. Uh, I think I realized how, how special that was. And, and Rod was really the guy that set the tone um, for that. I remember I, I tell guys here all the time because we show up, you show up now and guys are scrimmage. They just want to scrimmage, maybe practice for 20 minutes and then scrimmage. And um, when I was in Carolina, we would, we would play, we would probably have to be on the ice for an hour. The first half hour, we had no pucks. So Rod would just we'd get on and we'd just bag skate for the first half hour. Oh God, um, and then, and then we got to play. Right. <laughs> so I remember Anton, I think Anton Babchuk, um was there and so he's like oh, i'm just gonna skip the bag skate and come on for 
for the, the scrimmage, right? So he comes out for the scrimmage and, and Rod just kind of gave him the point, get, you know, get off the ice. He can come back tomorrow and try this again and show up <laughs> and everybody else shows up. So that, that was kind of the, the, the tone that, that uh, Rod sent. And, or, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you still see that every day with the Canes now. And, that, and then you played a thousand games in the NHL. So that had something to do with it, didn't it? <laughs> that foundation? Uh, for, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think you, it was such a veteran team. And I think when you're around veteran players, they're at the point in their career where they're, they're starting to hurt. You know, they're, maybe they're not feeling like they did when they were in their late 20s. And, and they're searching for different ways and different avenues to keep that level and evolve their game. Uh, and at the time, I probably didn't realize it, but they were, you know, they were into all sorts of different things, fitness wise and, and taking care of their bodies. So to have that influence at a young age for me, um, you know, I thought that was normal then. Um, and then you soon realized that they were a pretty, pretty special group and um, guys that a lot of those guys played, you know, more than a thousand games. So to have that as a youngster coming in the league was, was, I was extremely lucky for that. Well, speaking of coming in the league as a youngster, uh, heck of a start to your career with the Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes, also with the Chicago Blackhawks, of course. So we got to ask you about the playoffs. Uh, we've seen a game from every series. Which one really jumps out to you? What's something that kind of, you know, piqued your interest to say, oh, I can't wait to see how the rest of this series goes? I, I think the the Rangers, uh, I watched a, a lot of the Rangers Pittsburgh game last night and, and um, I think it's just going to be a great series. They play a lot of speed, a lot of skill. Uh, you know, hopefully um, the Smith is is okay, but um, you know, seeing what Louis Domingue did coming in and triple overtime, or I guess he, I don't know, did he come in at the end of double, um, and face the uh, just a bunch of shots right away, and and he's you know, I think he calmed that that team down and allowed them to to get that victory was was uh, was fun to watch. So th- that's a series for me that has a lot of a lot of high end talent. Um, and they were playing with a lot of uh, a lot of speed, a lot of emotion, and it should be fun moving forward. Talk about a little bit about playoff experience because I know you know Sarah wrote about this in her piece uh, with Rod Brindamore talking about maybe playoff experience is a little overrated. And like I said, you won a Stanley Cup as a rookie, so you had no experience. And some people would say ignorance is bliss, and then other people would say you need that experience on a team to help you on that playoff run. So I guess. <laughs> short and short question to this, even though I gave you such a preamble is, is playoff experience overrated? Um, I think it just depends on who's in that room. I mean, I, I think you need some veteran players. So it's, I guess it's easy for Rod to say that if he's got Jordan Stahl, you know, in the room and um, you know, even the other guys, Slavin and, and they got a, a good leadership group there. Um, but you have all those guys that have kind of at least been through um you know, a lot of what playoff hockey in the NHL is like, right. Uh, you know, when you get to that level there, you know, players are are used to playing in pressure, pressure situations. And, you know, it's not like they've never played playoff hockey. They've just never played NHL playoff hockey. So if you have the right group of veterans around those young players, and a lot of it I find is just settling guys down because, you know, they're, they're, the emotional aspect of playoffs is where you can get yourself into trouble, uh, or, you know, losing a game and, and thinking it's the end of the world where older guys understand it's a long series. You just have to get the next game and then go from there. So I think that's, that's the, you know, that's the way I see it, but you know, eventually you have to get experience sometimes. And he, you know, you look at a guy like, you know, Gensel, he came in and did pretty good right off the, the hop in Pittsburgh. 
did you notice it being easier to like, were, were you calmer like the second time, like when, when you went on the run with Chicago, than than maybe the first run, did you notice differences in yourself? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, we had like a, you know, we, when we lost, we, so we, we lost, we were up three, one at Edmonton and we lost, um, what is it? Game five and six. And then they, they evened it up. And I'll still remember the speech that Rod gave at after that game six. And it was really just to, to settle everyone down and just say, Hey, like, let's understand where we're at. If we're at the start of the year, if we said, Hey, we have one game to win the Stanley cup, would we take that? And obviously everybody in the room's like, yeah, of course. Um, and, and so he, he really kind of put everything in, in perspective and allowed the group to go, okay, yeah, like we know what we have in here. Let's just relax, regroup, and, and come give our best in game seven. And, and to me, that set the tone for how that group showed up that next game and uh, allowed us to, to win the Stanley Cup. Seems like Rod has just been the same exact guy for decades. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's what people respect about him. He, you know, what you see is what you get with him. Um, and there's such a genuine to you know whether you're you know he's answering a question or he's he's involved in the game or you know i was you know i was scared shitless of him when i when i first got in there just because he's such an intimidating intense guy but you know as you get to know him he's he's got the biggest heart he really cares about the people around him and you can feel that every day uh, I got to go back to that pittsburgh new york game one for a second because yeah. you know you talked about louis domingue and he came in and after the game somebody was asking what he was eating in the dressing room. And he said, before he came in between the first and second overtime, he was eating spiced pork and broccoli. Cause he just said he was hungry and he wasn't expecting to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I feel like some of those, some of the best stories I've ever heard always come during the playoffs when you think the players are the most nervous, but sometimes they're not. Do you have any, do, do you have any stories that stick out from either your Carolina run or your Chicago run? Something in the dressing room that maybe would have surprised a lot of fans to hear. Oh, well, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the one that comes to the biggest one that comes to mind is when, uh, we were playing Vancouver when I was in Chicago and, uh, it was kind of right before the game and the Kentucky Derby was going on and, uh, Joel Quenville hit the, I think it was the trifactor, right? Yep. So he, he had, he hit a massive bet, um, and won a, a bunch of money basically right before we we were uh, gonna play vancouver so uh boys had a pretty uh, pretty good time with that and just probably not something you expect um before uh before a playoff game did you have it on the tv in the room no so we were like we were just showing up so like they had like he was running around the room going nuts and we were just like what is going on right now um and then uh and i think one of the assistant coaches kind of filled the cinema was going on, but yeah, he was, he, he was fired up. He, uh, he had a good day. But I mean, stuff like that's got to have a bit of a calming influence. You talked about some of the younger players really, you know, they're, they're so jacked up. The hardest part is calming them down. You know, something like that to me seems like it would maybe help kind of bring, bring the mood down a little bit and get everybody calm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, that group in particular, we had, um, there was a certain level of confidence, and we played as a relaxed group, um, which, yeah, I, I think as an individual player, you kind of figure out what works for you. You know, am I the type of guy who needs to be super serious and, and fired up to get to play? And then there's, you know, other guys that, you know, Dustin Buffalo is just 
every day is just loose and, and uh, you know, having a great time with that work for him. Right. So it's, it's, it's something that everyone has their own personality and you, you, as a young player, it's just figuring out like, Hey, what do I need to do to perform night in night out? And some guys are serious and some guys are, are super loose. Tell us about the 1616 foundation. Oh yeah. So, um, it's me and my wife, uh, started our, our foundation, I guess like four years ago. And we are, our big, uh, in, initiatives, you know, surrounded mental health. And we really wanted to figure out like, okay, how do we impact mental health? Um, and when I was in with the Islanders and I was in Bridgeport, um, I just needed to find a purpose really. So, um, mentally I was in a, in a great spot and I wanted to, you know, serve people, find a way to have an impact in the game and, and the mental health space. So we, we started, uh, 1616, which, uh, in short is, is a program for 10 to 12 year old hockey players. That's our intention is to treat the mental side of the game, like the physical side of the game. And, and, and I say that in terms of like, we're very intentional with how we train kids physically at a young age. Uh, but we're not very intentional about, you know, training their brain and the different aspects that come with, you know, the more pressure that we're putting on kids at a younger age to perform and to be put in those positions. So we put them in those positions without the tools uh, and that's not fair to them and they're not ready for it. So 1616 is really about building those mental habits uh, within the game uh, with, with stories about real, you know, men and female uh, pro hockey players to teach those kids how to, how that's worked for them. Um, as, as NHLers, uh, we have a tremendous amount of resources. And, and as you play in the game, you go out and you search for different ways to perform better um, physically, mentally. And, and I've kind of run the gamut on all of those things. And I want to take a lot of those resources to kids at, at a young enough age where we can build a strong foundation to, to impact their, their mental health moving forward. I love this so much. It just feels like youth hockey has gotten so stressful and it's so like one track mind, right? For sure. Uh, and it's funny, like through the, through the pro, uh, part of the process that we go through is we'll interview, we'll do a zoom interview with a player to, to get their story um, so that our curriculum team can, can create a story arc for these 10 year old kids. That, that's going to be impactful. Um, and to a player, everyone, you know, what advice would you have for 10 to 12 year old kid playing hockey? And, uh, every one of them is like, Hey, just have fun. Mm -hmm. There's a certain level of, um, I guess there's there's something that fun does for your brain and that we kind of forget about as parents and coaches with kids that, Hey, like for them to evolve, not only as a hockey player, but as a person, they need to enjoy what they're doing. And if they don't have that enjoyment and we're taking that away from them, we're really, we're doing them harm. So. Of, of all the stories you've heard, um, is there one that stands out maybe that, that you think was, was really impactful of, of something an NHL player had gone through that, that really helped the kids? Huh, yeah. I mean, so we, we talked to Anthony Stewart about, um, you know, him growing up and having to walk, you know, four kilometers to the rink every morning and having the impact of, you know, family, you know, stopping by and picking them up and giving them Tim Hortons on the way to the rink. Uh, and just how that's, that's led him to try to serve other people in his community, whether that was his brother or Wayne Simmons moving forward. Um, we've talked to a, a sledge hockey player named Zach Levine, 
who went out for a hike and, and ended up getting frostbite and lost one of his legs and found sledge hockey and now is, is playing in the, the Olympics. Um, you know, we talked to, to Blair Turnbull about how she builds confidence and, and what that was like growing up as a female and, and playing with boys and um, the different challenges that, that she's faced. So we had a, a massive uh, group and, and really the support from, from players has, has been tremendous. We've got um, a lot of players that have donated their time and, and stories and, and to get them. It's funny when you, when you say something's for 10 to 12 year old kids, uh, people, you know, are, are super generous with their time, but also with, with, you know, their stories. And I think we've gotten a lot out of, out of uh, a lot of players that will be impactful for, for kids. Andrew, I also love it. And I, I love the fact that you are going backwards and, you know, the NHL has done a lot over the last number of years to bring awareness to mental health issues, but <clears throat> how much of, of your program really does deal with even just changing the culture of it? Because for so long, what were hockey players told? Toughen up, you know, just, just be tough. Don't, don't admit something's wrong. If you're admitting something's wrong, you're weak. I mean, to me, the, the actual ability to be able to say, Hey, I need some help or, Hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm not having fun. Like you said, is, is so much a part of, of improving kids mental health and, and having them enjoy hockey. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's, I, I felt that firsthand. So, uh, I have this, one of my bad habits is I internalize everything. So like anything bad happens to like, to your point, like I just keep it all in and I'll deal with it and push forward until you're pushing forward to the point where you can't go any further. And I got to a point where I was in New York and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think I had a way forward in terms of like, can I keep enjoying this game and, and um, do what I'm doing? Cause I knew it was starting to affect my family. Uh, you know, my wife, my kids had to deal with me coming home and even my teammates in the dressing room. So that forced me to reach out, find someone to help me through that. And I was like, you know, holy crap, man, I got so many bad habits that I've built up over the years um, that I have to start dealing with. So for me, like being able to take that to young kids and not only the kids, but the parents and coaches to, to really help them understand the impact that they have on these kids with their words and their actions um, and, and how you can push them one way or another. Like that's, that's a huge opportunity for you to help a kid along. And, and I, I think sometimes we get caught up in the game and the emotion and, and trying to win hockey games at such a young age, we forget about, Hey, like you have an important role here to help this kid out, not only as a hockey player, but as a person. Um, and that's really what we're, you know, is 16, 16 is, is all about is trying to, to have, you know, be more intentional with, with that impact. What a great program. So glad you can come on and, uh, and talk about it. Andrew, what's the next couple of years kind of look like for you? You've hit that thousand games. Um, what, what's, you know, you're obviously going to be looking to a point after hockey and I'm not retiring you just yet, but I mean, what, yeah. what are the next few years look like for you? Yeah, we'll see. I think when you, you get to my age, um, you know, first and foremost, see how my body is going to respond in these next couple of months. Um, and then I, th this, this has been fun for me. It's been fun to have a different purpose other than hockey. And I think, you know, one of the big things I've figured out with this is, is hockey is what you do. It's not who you are. And um, I'm looking forward to the next chapter, whatever, whatever that may hold. Um, 16, 16 will, will be a big part of that. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of the, 
one of my, I guess, strong attributes is, is I'll have the ability to kind of like readjust, reset and figure out what I want to do next. But I think just staying in the game in, in some way, whether that's with, with kids or, or at a professional level is something that, that I'd like to do. Well, as soon as you do that, come right back on the podcast and talk to us again. <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the way. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, guys, time for my favorite portion of the show and yours, the rapid fire. Dustin Brown announcing he's going to retire from the NHL at the conclusion of these playoffs. Uh, are you, you know, every now and again, you get those things where it says like, oh, the last episode of Seinfeld was this many years ago. And you're like, what? <laughs> Dustin Brown's played 18 seasons in the NHL. That, that, that number seems way too big. I still think of him as the young Dustin Brown. But your thoughts when you heard this news, Sarah? Yeah, just um, a heck of a career. And I love when they call their shot before the playoffs, right? It's like, okay, now we got to be invested in this playoff run and watch this play out in real time. It reminds me of Justin Williams, who also played with Dustin Brown. Yeah, well-timed to motivate his team and build the storyline. I feel like every underdog has to have a storyline and Dustin Brown announcing it before the playoffs gives his teammates a little bit extra juice. I I, I like the timing of it. Um, who's next? I mean, we got a lot of players on this list. Could, could we see Chara retiring next? Keith Yandel, Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza. If, you, if we were running a pool right now, who'd be your number one overall pick? Just uh, all the above. Um, I, I mean, done. Is it, like, I, man, I, like my initial reaction, just my gut was Zdeno Chara, but also like this guy hasn't been able to skate for 10 years and he's still awesome. So like, like the lack of skating hasn't hurt him. So maybe he'll just play forever. I don't know. It's that was the gut though. It's Chara. What, what do you think, Sarah? I just think the ending of that Islanders game, the goal and then the lightning coming up to him, it just feels like it's might be the end, which is sad. I feel old because he's the first player that I was a huge fan of. So, Ah, what a career, though. 
I could see Keith Yandel being next too. Now that the streak is done and, and he's becoming a healthy scratch, I could see him going, all right, the streak is over. I can ride off into the sunset. Uh, we saw three teams make coaching changes. The Red Wings parted ways with Jeff Blaschel and his assistants. Mike Yo won't be back as the Flyers head coach. And assistant coach Phil Housley parting ways with the Arizona Coyotes. Did any of these surprise you or intrigue you in any way, shape, or form? Jesse? The, the whole Philly situation intrigues me, not because they fired him, because I thought that was justified, and, I, and I, obviously that team has massively underperformed. I thought it was interesting that they're trying to keep him on as an assistant. Um, that like, It's just a weird idea of like, hey, we really think that you're a good coach. We just don't want you to be the coach. Um, we want we want you to be around. We just need someone that's better than you to be above you. Like it's it's a very strange in the smaller. Right, it's office. a very strange <laughs> dynamic to want to demote a coach. It just, you rarely yeah. see it. So to me, that was intriguing. Um, other than that, they seemed pretty cut and dry. Well, it's funny. I asked um, an NHL executive who I won't name once, um, hey, this GM position is open. Do you want it? And he was like, nope, I'm getting paid to do much less right now. So it might be one of those situations where at the end of the day, it is a lot of work and you're still getting paid a significant amount if you're taking a demotion. So kind of maybe he's looking at the work-life balance. But and you don't have to it, talk it to was us. A unique, yeah, it was a unique situation. Um, and uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sir. That's okay. I was just gonna say in Detroit, that kind of surprised me, just because I I figured they'd have a few more years with him before they were totally blowing it up. But I guess it'll be interesting to see who's next. He's another one who I feel like feels like Jeff Blaschel just kind of went to the Red Wings because we don't pay enough attention to the Red Wings because they're in that rebuild. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And anytime a coach is there during a rebuild, you're like, we talk so much about the top 16 teams in the playoffs and everything else. You're like, oh yeah, the Red Wings are rebuilding. And then you're like, well, if the rebuild's not going on the right track, then something needs to change. And speaking of coaching changes, well, Kevin Sheveldayoff is extended by the Winnipeg Jets and in his press conference said they're going to do a full scale search uh, for their next head coach. And if Dave Lowry wants to be considered, he's earned that right. Um, interesting and, and I wonder how long it's going to take them to, to make this move and again something that seemed like so long ago the Paul Maurice press conference seems like forever ago and this team is now still looking for a permanent head coach I, I think it's hilarious that it's literally Adam Lowry's dad um, I don't think that's a great dynamic to be honest with you I don't think that should be a thing but I don't really know enough about it. I was going to make a joke about it when the Jets were playing the Canes, and then I looked it up, and it's actually his son. Like, when's the last time we saw that? Yeah, it's it's, it's odd. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's a good like if you if there are coaches out there amongst the teams that are firing their coaches, like that that's not a bad job. Like you've got the the or one of the best goalies in in the league, and and they've got some really like solid solid scorers up front. The defense needs to be retooled a little bit, but I think when you look at like Philadelphia, Detroit, like to me, Winnipeg, even though they they they, ha- they aren't in the playoffs, that's that's an attractive spot to land, and I think you could do a quick turnaround. So if, if they if they pick the right coach, I think that's a good situation. 
All right, so eight game ones in the books. Can't wait to see every single game two and the rest of the series. Guys, what are we working on this week? Uh, Sarah, I'm assuming it has something to do with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, do, you, do, you do, a lot, do you do a lot of planning during the playoffs? Is there specific angles you're looking for, or is every game going to be different? Um, I like to kind of see where it takes me, but I also like to be prepared. I will say I have one of my favorite stories I might have ever written um, to scheduled for Thursday morning. Um, just stories from the 06 team that won the cup and they just can talk forever they're dropping f-bombs and reminiscing and i felt honored and so happy to hear some of their stories jesse yeah i'm covering an off i'm covering an <laughs> off season in may for the first time ever so there it's, it's interesting i uh I, I i honestly i have a lot of of cool stuff that i'm excited about coming up uh yesterday was locker cleanout day and i was adding up the times of all the interviews i did and it was five minutes short of three hours so three Jesus. hours worth of interviews with kelly mccrimmon pete DeBoer, all the golden knights players that i'm sifting through and transcribing over the next few days uh, immediately on the docket is a story on mark stone's back injury which is still not fixed um he he obviously missed several times this season he sat out for more than a month um he he missed a bunch of games he said yesterday that they're still trying to figure it out they're trying to determine whether he needs surgery or not so um, speaking with a bunch of people about Mark Stone's back injury, obviously he's not an old player. He hasn't; he's not even thirty yet. He still has five years left on a huge contract. So, getting that situation solved is majorly important for the future of the Golden Knights. So that's what I'm working on. Can't wait to read those things, and can't wait to talk to you guys next week when these series have really taken shape. Want to tell some of our listeners? Remember, follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and don't forget leave a rating and a review. It helps us out a lot. You could subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all of your bonus content from the entire network. You start with a 30-day free trial, then it's just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, you get an annual subscription to the Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. For Sarah and Jesse, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you next week.